Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit markethouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. Hey, this is Tyler Jones, and you're listening to The Element Podcast. What's happening, all my woods people? It's a blustery day, probably across pretty much all of North America, it sounds like. (laughs) But uh, it's 37 degrees here, and I think that is warm for most places, uh, considering some of the people we've been seeing on Instagram and talking to, um, including our guest today, who's from Iowa, an Iowa resident, John Mm -hmm. Lusk of Lusk Archery Adventures. Casey. You know this guy better than I do. <laughs> well, I don't know John personally. We've communicated a little bit, and he seems like a really cool guy. He's got a great uh, YouTube page and a great Instagram page. He's done a lot of shooting, a lot of testing, of particularly broadheads and then bows and other things as well, too. But he's done a lot of hunting, loves to hog hunt, loves to do a lot of other stuff. So seems like a pretty cool guy, pretty excited guy, especially for as early as it is in the morning. And uh, I think he's going to be a pretty good guy to have on, especially... Said especially a couple times. Yeah, right there. there's a lot of specials in this <laughs> podcast. It's very special. <laughs> it is an especial podcast. Particularly, um, kind of after some events that I've had with broadheads this season. Not that yeah. I had any issues, but just some surprises in in performance. Um, yeah, and I guess you too. You know, we 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 all where you and I shoot different stuff. And uh, it's it's for me it's fun to kind of explore what each broadhead does and its pluses and minuses. Yeah. And John has done way more of that than I have. Yeah. Well, I'm, you know, I probably should just listen more to the experts on our social media pages. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> should you? <laughs> I just I just found it really funny that your your uh, meat buck had uh, you know you were surprised about that and. Yeah. 
uh, there were guys that were telling you, you know, what you needed to do yeah, and stuff, and so, they don't even know what you're doing. So I'm just like, what? <laughs> yeah. Well, that guy, he was surprised too once I told him I set up. <laughs> yeah. You know? That's what I'm like, saying. Oh, okay. But got to up your airway. Oh, well, I'm shooting million grains, you know, or whatever. <laughs> well, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I'm not shooting that much, but for whitetails, it's, it's quite a bit. Apparently, um, John is going to go after some quarry here soon in, or the country, or, no, the continent, <laughs> <laughs> the wild con- continent of Africa. Yeah. And uh, he's talking about thousands of grains of arrows. So uh, it's kind of crazy. Well, uh, but around yeah. here, honestly, I have not been shooting my bow hardly any, and I feel kind of bad about it. You have no. been a little bit, haven't you? No, well, I'm in the process of getting a new bow. So I shot uh, that one the other day yeah. and then kind of tested it against mine to see how it felt. I still need to take it uh, to your boy, Richard, and uh, get him to, you know, speedometer it. He's about all set up now. That's good. Yeah. I need to do that because it's, uh, I just want to make sure that I'm not like spending extra money to not really get anything different. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think I am. And I definitely know that this one at this point in in the year is tuned better than the one I was shooting yeah. at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um it just I can just feel it. It's definitely a better bow. Several, I mean, five years or so newer. Um, so anyway, been looking at that. And then other than that, I hadn't shot. I shot that, you know, for, I probably shot, you know, 15 shots out of it uh, for, you know, one day and then haven't shot since. I'm not really feeling that bad about it because, um, I don't know, I, I, like, I don't really plan on doing any bow hunting for a while here, I don't think. You're not going to hunt the spring gobblers with a bow at all? I think I'm going to slam them down with a six-shot, yeah. See, I think I'm going to probably start out with a shotgun, and then if we can kill a couple turkeys, I might try the bow thing. Yeah. Just because get, it I mean, sounds like fun. We can get eight. You think we can make that happen? <laughs> I don't know, man. There's a, that's a lot of turkeys. That's a lot of turkeys. Is there any other state that gives out that many turkey tags per yeah, person? Yeah, uh, I want to say like Alabama is like five or something yeah. maybe. Uh, I think there is a couple couple of states that are right in there. We need to go to Alabama. Apparently, they're crawling with wildlife with as many deer tags and stuff. Yeah, I know. What in the world, man? <laughs> yeah. um, so, anyway, that hadn't shot a whole lot, but um, basically just been, as far as like hunting goes, I haven't really done a whole lot, but I'm kind of itching. I want to. I want to go. We have some trail cameras that are still out. We do. That I would like to go get if it'll ever stop raining. But here's the thing: is like all y'all people are listening from the Midwest and stuff. You're like, oh, so much snow. It is literally all the snow that you're getting is rain here. Yeah, at least your ground is frozen here. It's soggy. (laughs) It's Seattle here. Yes. So uh, yeah, it's been kind of hard for us to get out and and do a whole lot uh, with as much rain as it is, and it's cold rain. It's 37 degrees rain, you Mm -hmm. know, or whatever. So um, yeah, we have it worse than right. (laughs) (laughs) Tell you you the truth, I will take what we have instead of 20 degrees. Oh yeah, oh me too. Yeah, I can't do it, man. No, it sounds terrible. I did get out this past weekend and observe the final weekend of squirrel season. I shot one squirrel per day. That's good. Yeah, that's a. I saw more. Ten percent of your limit, right? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm starting to really figure out the squirrel thing more. I used to just blunder around through the woods, and I've noticed that squirrels like sunshine and they like not mm-hmm. windy days. Those yeah. are the two things, man. And if it's either one of those, you're gonna have a hard time. There'll be squirrels out on windy days, but they're on the ground. And when a squirrel's on the ground, it's a lot harder to shoot than when it's in the air. Yeah. Well, even harder. in the trees, if the trees are all moving, yeah, and everything, like it's gonna be hard to see squirrels. Well, that's why they don't like it up there because. They can't predict where limbs are going to be either. In the wind, <laughs> yeah. So they fall. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Actually, we saw a squirrel fall this 
Was it this year or last year? Uh, I think it was this year. We saw it was like he fell from like thirty five feet up <laughs> in the tree. Ka-tunk. Yeah. Is he okay? Took off running. <laughs> Whatever. It's one of those yeah. things where like if an ant falls from thirty feet, you know, it yeah. lands very lightly and crawls off. But if a person falls from thirty yeah. feet, exactly. It's a well, you story. probably know this, but um, better than I do. But I've seen little kids fall. From like things that are like that would hurt me, yeah. and they just get up and go, yeah. you know, until like yeah. unless their feelings get hurt. But oh, like, that's the thing. It's like if their feelings get hurt, they'll cry, and yeah. then you you can. There are certain things you can do to make them literally go bipolar and start laughing immediately. And it's like, <laughs> why were you even crying? Come on, just making my life terrible yeah, right now. Yeah, that's funny, man. Yeah. Also, so. my father-in-law found the first shed to come off of my property. Mm, mm, I know it's cool, but not from this year, right? No, I didn't look yeah. like it's from this year. It might be a buck that I have on camera, but it's hard to tell. It's all squirrel chewed up and stuff, but yeah. still, it's like a, a decent little eight point. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I was pumped, Dude, man. I bet. I'm, it, I, I'm ready to go, and I'm, I, I've been running a little bit, mm-hmm. and even though it's been cold, I've been running. ran this morning. Saw hogs on my run. That was cool. Like they, I thought they were going to attack me. They were just all around me. But uh, freaking hog scared over here. <laughs> I really Golly. didn't think they were going to attack okay. me. Uh, but they were just it, like there were so many of them. It was like whoa, they're you know hogs running everywhere, like twenty yards from me. Yeah. But uh, I'm 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 getting to the point where I'm trying to get into good enough shape so that when we go looking for sheds, I'm like ready to walk. You know, seven, eight, ten miles. Mm, I love it, dude. So, I don't, I don't, I don't love it. But uh, but. There, I see the need in yeah. like scouting, and I do love finding a big shed. You know, mm-hmm. um, do you not like finding little sheds? Do you not get... I, I, it's it's not that exciting. See, for me. I, I, it doesn't matter. See, I and there are people won't. like that. There are lots yeah. of people like that, and so and I, I don't understand that necessarily. I no, like I'm not saying you're wrong for that right, at no. all. You know, it's just I just I just for some I found a lot of sheds. Uh, you know, for com- I guess comparatively to probably a lot of people I know my age, mm-hmm. just I've been blessed to you know, be around some not picked properties where lots of deer, you know, lots of decent bucks. Cause it's, you know, be honest, like finding a spike shed is harder than finding a Oh yeah. I would love to find one of those side. little nub sheds. That would be so cool. I found, I've got one in my truck, you know, the one that's like, it's like five inches, yeah. the spike, you know, yeah. I love it. Cause it was, it was super fresh like, yeah. and, and it was laying out in the corner of this field and, uh, like it's still got like the skin around the edge of it is how fresh Whoa. it is and so uh I, like it's just it's like a actual horn it's not like a shed that's got some deterioration Whoa. you know an actual an actual horn? antler <laughs> sorry luke uh, so uh i love like it's almost like a stress ball or whatever so like yeah. sometimes when i'm just i just I'm like i'll grab it and i'll just rub it and it just feels like an actual antler off a live deer you know so yeah. but uh I, other than that man that particular antler, uh, you know, I don't get super jazzed up about jazzed up about like uh, anything that's like not three years old or bigger. Probably, yeah. you know, that kind of class, like mm-hmm. hundred and ten or so inches or bigger. You know, uh, like that kind of rack. You know, so mm-hmm. I guess whatever that is, forty fifty inches. You know, yeah. So I don't know. It just it just doesn't do it for me. But I do enjoy getting out, getting the fresh air, and and uh, kind of seeing what. You know, seeing the postseason side of things and like, oh, well, this this trail is beat in, you know, mm-hmm. so that's where they've been using. And I think that's the big benefit of shed hunting is it's uh, you might not find as many sheds, but if you pay attention to the landscape while you're out there, man, you learn a, a whole bunch, mm-hmm. you know, and, yeah. and I'm not like a super experienced shed hunter, but I, I have done some, we've done some, and 
I think we don't find sheds because we get caught up on whitetail sign. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. That's yeah. A, that's kind of the big deal on it. Dude, I had one, maybe one trip where we picked a property that was like, had never been picked in Kansas there. And it was phenomenal. My dad and I, I don't remember, we had 20-something sheds and basically day, uh, basically a good day of walking in like Man. a morning. It was awesome, dude. And there was good sheds. I found a, I think it's a, I think it's a 62-inch side or something like that. Pretty good. Um, yeah. So, anyway. How big was that eight point that I found this year? I can't remember. Wasn't it like that? We, we did a contest. Remember? I think it was in that 62 range, something uh, like that. It was that. something I got to go look at the Instagram. Yeah, we need to look was. at it. It was, it, was, it was a good, it was, I mean, the main beam wasn't long, but everything else yeah. was there, you know. That's definitely the biggest shit I've ever found. Oh, it was, I was, I was like so jealous, you know. Hey, we got to go back and find the other we side We do, we do. We know, <laughs> we know he's somewhere around there. Yeah. So, but uh, I'm excited about, about those opportunities, finding those big, big sheds, you know. It's, mm-hmm. it's just cool to have that and put it on your mantle and. It's like a mount. It's like uh, I've heard guys talk about this a lot, and I think it's 100% true, but like a, a trophy on your wall is literally when you see it, you just ha- all of a sudden your mind works. Like you have memory of that. You're not sitting there going like, oh, I'm going to stick my chest out, and this is better than everybody else, or for me at least, but more like I think about every time I see the brow time buck on my wall, I think about the shot and like the few different times that I had seen him prior to it and everything, you know. Yeah. And so uh, it's kind of the same way with a shed. You're like, especially if you know the deer, mm-hmm. you're like, you think about all the different times you've seen that deer every time you look at the shed. But uh, anyway, I, I'm i wigging out on whitetails right now. I'm pretty sure John Lusk is like all about uh, everything that can be hunted. So we might want to get on the phone with him and talk a little bit about that since whitetail season is over. And only thing we have to do is in maybe a month find some sheds. That's so. right, man. That's right. Let's talk to John. He's an exciting guy and I'm excited to to hear from all right let's get him on the phone all right so now on the phone we have john lusk with lusk archery adventures what's happening john hey guys i'm doing good i'm here in freezing iowa <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but but i'm enjoying being in a new place I'm yeah good. glad to be with you guys today. that's good well it's 37 here so like we're real cold too john we're real cold <laughs> yeah yeah I, i'm envious of those days yeah like <laughs> I looked ahead for the next 15 days, and there's nothing above 20 degrees. Oh, my gosh. Days. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah I'm serious. I'm like, I, I think I moved to the wrong place. Dude, I, <laughs> I just have I have a feeling, though, that like freezing Iowa from a deer hunter's perspective is better than freezing Texas. You know what I mean? Well, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> or northeast <laughs> Texas, at least, you know. Okay. Yeah. So, well, cool, man. So, uh, glad to have you on, man. Um you know, first of all, your brand is this Lusk Archery Adventures. Uh, you seem to travel quite a bit and go on hunts. Um, take us back as far as you want. How did you get to where, I mean, this is a dream for a lot of guys to be able to travel around, do hunts. I mean, how did you get to this point? Well, that's a good question. I, honestly, it kind of makes me shiver a little bit just <laughs> thinking about that. Because when you say it's like a dream, it, it is like a dream. I grew up in a... Um, in a big family, six kids. I'm the youngest of six uh, kids. And my dad was in the military, really a great soldier, if you will. He was a three-star admiral, super busy, you know, traveled all over the world and stuff. And my mom was a full-time high school calculus teacher, then, then six kids on top of that. But 
but they always had time for the outdoors, which was really cool. And I didn't realize how challenging that was till I had kids of my own. And I go, man, that's hard to control that schedule. But we, I grew up hiking and backpacking and hunting and fishing everywhere we lived. That was like the thing we would do for family vacations or weekends with my dad. Let's go hunting. And so I just had such great memories and just it was built into me just this passion uh, for the outdoors and, and especially archery and bow hunting though I did you know I hunted with pistols hunted with guns you know rifles and everything else but my parents were really into archery and that was like their hobby for a long time they were competitive recurve archers and I remember just seeing trophies littered throughout the house of my mom and my dad. Usually my there was more female trophies than male trophies. You know? <laughs> my mom was really good. But that was just instilled in me. And so I grew up bow hunting in Louisiana. We'd go hunt hogs, public property there. Honey Island Swamp is the area that was called in, uh, in Slidell, Louisiana. And I just remember that from such an early age. And and then I got really busy. I graduated from college, got really busy with my career, which ended up being as a pastor. So I've been a pastor since, gosh, 1987. Yeah, 1987. Wow. And so I, I graduated in civil engineering down from LSU in Louisiana. And then I went to theology school in um, to study theology and got a graduate degree in theology and then have just pastored to churches all over the U.S. and then eventually went over to Bangkok, Thailand. We spent four years in Bangkok and then two years in the Philippines and started churches all throughout Southeast Asia and then came back and, you know, a bunch of different churches here in the States. But during that time that I was over in Asia, especially, I couldn't hunt. And it was really hard because like in Thailand, everyone believes in reincarnation. You might be, you know, killing somebody's great, great grandmother. Or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> That's problematic. When I first got there, I would be preaching sermons and I, I didn't speak Thai in the beginning. And, and I had a translator. And then I would be telling like hunting stories because that's like my thing, you know, little <laughs> illustrations and stuff. And after about a month, he said, hey, John, he goes, do you notice how when you talk about hunting, people kind of cringe a little bit? I'm like, well, yeah, I thought they're just not, you know, maybe you said he goes, no, here in Thailand, it's considered a sin. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's illegal. So I had to hold back. But anyway, during those years, I, I couldn't hunt at all. I did fish, which was great fishing over there. But I didn't I didn't get to hunt. So then when I came back to the States, I had to make up for lost time. And I just got really into bow hunting at that time. I remember turning 40 and I was like, my wife said, okay, you get an extra special gift, you know, when you're 40, what do you want? And I go, it's time to, to take up bow hunting, you know, with a passion. And so I got back into it and man, I've just been going full throttle since that time. And I mean, gosh, I, you know, I was hunted all over Missouri and I had this buddy in the church that I had helped when he was in his residency uh, to become a surgeon. And then he became this really successful surgeon and he was really grateful for my help. So he would take me on these adventures. I got him into bow hunting, okay, which was great too. He <laughs> took me to, to, uh, to Canada a few times, took me to Africa. I mean, I've, had, I've been blessed with so many cool opportunities like that, largely because of that guy. I mean, that was just 
the initial, you know, hunting abroad, hunting different species kind of a thing for me. And so while I still have a bunch of rifles, a bunch of pistols, I, I mean, it's just bow only for me. Even during gun season, I just like to hunt with a bow. In Iowa, you can't hunt with a bow during gun season, but in most places you can. And so I'll do that. Matter of fact, the last time I hunted with a rifle, I was in St. Louis and a buddy asked me to go out hunting during rifle season. I thought, man, maybe I should bring my bow. And I go, no, you know, I'll, I'll go ahead and take my seven mag. And I go out there and uh, I, I stood up. I was in a kind of a ground tucked in behind a tree and I stood up to go to the bathroom. I was wearing a poncho. It was pouring down rain. And I came back toward my tree. And I look and there's this huge buck at nine yards I mean, oh, it's literally man. right in front of me and my my scope was on nine power like i had to adjust <laughs> it so i just held up and it was brown and just your know, brown blur and shot it snapped its neck it just dropped right there and i was like man i should have brought my bow <laughs> and should. so from, yeah. from then on it's just been it's been bow only so yeah. i just i just love it that's cool man that's awesome so when you were fishing over there, there was no qualms about like you're hooking my grandfather in the lips and wrestling him into the <laughs> boat here or anything. <laughs> right. I mean, and don't you see that irony in America as well? Like people are so against hunting and you go, well, what about fishing? You yeah. know? I mean, you're, you're killing these fish too. And people just don't have like this you know, protective instinct for fish. And I always try to say, Hey, Jesus ate fish. You know, Peter caught him and Jesus ate him. You know, he didn't have a problem eating wildlife. And, yeah, yeah. And so, but it's true over there. No, we would catch, uh, we'd catch sailfish. That was like the big thing in Southern Thailand. Really? Barracuda. Oh, yeah, it was, I mean, it was fantastic, but they had no problem with that. Yeah. That, that's funny. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's, but it's, so then uh, what, what I really started getting into was filming some of my hunts. So mm -hmm. I just thought you know, like I would look at the trophies on the wall and, you know, there's something about seeing a mount on the wall that brings you back to the exact hunt, right? It just sure. conjures up the feelings and, and pictures do the same. But then video, I started to notice like, man, I could relive the exact thing that happened. And sometimes my mind's like a blur mm -hmm. when, when it's all going down, right? The adrenaline rush, you go from like zero adrenaline to like max adrenaline in a millisecond. You know how it is when you see that rack coming through the woods or oh, something. And yes. so then sometimes I just go on autopilot, right? And all yep. that practice comes in, but you, you just forget kind of what happened. But if I have it on video, then I go, man, I, that, I get to relive it. Oh, I forgot that. And so I'm not like a good videographer, but I started kind of self-filming. And occasionally if I go somewhere that someone's with me, then I go, hey, man, can you film for me? Just a buddy. And so I started that with, uh, with a YouTube channel. And then I started really getting into broadhead testing. And because I'm an engineer, I think I'm kind of wired that way just to like testing different materials and designs and so forth. And so then that I started putting that on my YouTube channel. And then it got up to like over 2 million views, like in the last year and a half. <clears throat> and it's been really good. To, so then now – that the the ads on YouTube it funds my my hunting. Like That's great. I just bought a brand new bow from that, and you know planned trips. I went on a mountain lion hunt from that, and so it ends up being like this sweet gig, just to be able to to post the videos and have it promote my actual hunting. <laughs> That's passion. awesome. Self sustaining in that way is awesome. Like <laughs> what a dream, right? That's yeah, cool. yeah. yeah. That's cool. So I guess. To kind of talk about your YouTube stuff a little bit, do you do you feel like 
you have the same passion to get those broadhead videos on there as you do the hunting vids, or is that just kind of like a means to an end for you? Well, that's interesting. That's really a good question. I think it started like probably a means to an end, but then I just started really getting into it. Mm-hmm. And I just, I mean, like I, I invest, I invest way more money in that aspect of the, of the channel than I do get a return. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, when, when I'm already hunting, well, then it's just a return. People watch the hunts and stuff, and I don't really have to invest anything. But when I buy the broadheads, and about about 50% of them I buy, uh, sometimes I'll go to the manufacturer and say, hey, would you be willing to comp me some heads? And, and about 50% of the time I get that. Then others I go, man, I'm just going to fork out some money and buy these because I'm really curious about them. And I don't like to be brand loyal. Like I, I've had different companies sponsor me with broadheads, but I don't. I don't ever want to have like a, um, a mutually exclusive, you know, kind of contract where I only use their broadhead. Yeah, like, right. sure. I, I won't do that because I just love like playing the field too much. I guess it's why people don't get married sometimes. Okay? <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have that problem with marriage or I don't have a pastor and stuff happily married, but, but I do with broadheads. Okay? Yeah, I, just, yeah, sure. I want to always try something new. And so now it's become something that I just love. And I just, when the ATAs, you know, are getting ready to come out, man, I'm like, what's coming out. I'll post something on archery talk, you know, Hey, what are the broadheads coming out of the ATA? And now I've gotten to know so many different manufacturers and talk to them. I get to know what's coming up and what design and tweak designs with them. And man, that's just become, it's really interesting. It's not a means to an end at all. It's an end in and of itself. It's just, it's really become one of my hobbies. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And we want to kind of get into that broadhead stuff a little bit more, but I had a, a question. You've done something that it's kind of intrigued me for, for quite a few years and I've gone really back and forth on Africa and the concept of hunting mm-hmm. in Africa. And I don't know where I'm at now, but I just kind of wanted to ask you to tell us a little bit about Africa and maybe what it's like for kind of a common guy to go to Africa. Man, that you ask really good questions. <laughs> you are good. Like that, that is like, okay. I was so excited to go to Africa when I was a kid uh, I remember my dad just, and I, well, I mean, I was like five, him, like dream, him and I just dreaming together of going on an African safari. And I remember a very vivid time. We were at a carnival, <clears throat> excuse me. And I, and I found this dollar. There was a dollar on the ground. I picked it up. I go, dad, I found a dollar. He said, son, save that for our African safari. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh yeah, you don't want to save my dollar. And, and it was just in me for so long. Well then, you know, my dad got older and, you know, things don't always work out and he ended up passing away. Um, but I was telling this story to my buddy who's that surgeon. And he said, bro, he goes, I'm going to take you to Africa. We're going to go hunting. I'm like, no man, what we did. And so it was like the fulfillment of, of this dream that I had from being a kid and, and this, you know, continuation of my dad's legacy and in, in bow hunting, it was really, it was kind of spiritual in that way, very spiritual. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but anyway, but then going there, so we went to a really top notch outfitter, really you know, great reputation. And it was, it was phenomenal. I mean, it was like five star food and a beautiful area and we're hunting on concessions, which, you know, are like privately owned, so they call like privately owned land plots that are huge. I mean, mm-hmm. anywhere from 5,000 to 50,000 acres, but they are high fence. And, you know, they're high fence sometimes to keep 
certain animals out and then sometimes just to kind of protect their land. But in South Africa, they're all high fence like that are pretty much all high fence. So I'm like, okay, that didn't really bother me because I go, well, this is Africa. But then I was sitting there in the blind, which is a very nice blind, the first day. And the the PH, the professional hunter who's with me, he goes, okay, you know, it's going to start getting good when the truck comes by. And I go, what, what do you mean? Well, then I hear this like I can hear this squeaky truck going over the bumps in the road. And he goes, Here's it, here it comes. And when I'm hearing that sound, all of a sudden, I start seeing all these animals like coming towards us. It was like, it's like freaking Noah's Ark. I mean, they're just like, <laughs> they're just pouring in. I'm like, what's going on? Well, then the truck pulled up and they, they knew that sound. And it dumps out all this like hay, like this grass. Mm. And then it drives away. And the warthogs come in, and then the kudu come in, the impala come in, and they all start to come in. And it was like this mixture of a rush because I'd never seen these animals. I'd never seen so many animals so close. And these species, like you go, there's a kudu at like 20 yards. And I mean, it was like amazing. I was nervous and, you know, shot my first wildebeest right there. And it was just like this, this really surreal experience. But then there was this other part that I was like, okay, what, what is this? Like, <laughs> yeah. What am I doing over here? And yeah. It just felt, um, it felt really canned and like, really staged. And I remember going back to the, to the room that night and talking to my buddy going, you know, that was awesome. It was awesome. And I go, Hey man, did, did you feel this way? And he's like, I did. And it was just, <laughs> it was interesting. And I don't mean to criticize the genre of hunting, right? I mean, yeah, sure. who are we to define what is hunting, what isn't, but there was a part in me that I was like, okay, this isn't what I expected. Mm-hmm. And, and then I did realize that, okay, as the week went on, finding a certain trophy size, a quality animal, taking the mature one out of the herd for conservation's sake and putting a great shot on it. And those animals are tough as nails. I mean, it is weird how, how tough and resilient they are. It was more of a challenge than I realized. But I kept asking the PH, like, hey, man, can we just go, like, walk and stalk? You know, can we yeah. spot and stalk? Can we? I want to just, like, belly crawl through the savannah. <laughs> you know, that's what I'm picturing. So they don't like you to do that in the beginning only because – They've noticed if they do that too much, people don't get the animals that they dreamed of getting. It's much harder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so then they leave and they're disappointed. Yeah. And then they and then the pH goes, Well, you wanted to walk and stalk. And they're like, Well, but I didn't know I wasn't gonna get anything. And <laughs> so they, they recommend, okay, get what's on your hit list. And then if there's time, we'll do that. So the last day and a half was literally that. I mean, it was stalking, belly crawling, butt crawling along the Crocodile River. I mean, that's really what the river's called. I mean, right. right along the, the, I know, I'm like, I am there, man. Where's Tarzan? Like, I just loved it. And like, we got into this herd of Impala and they're all around us. And then we, we crawled up and I look over and there's this warthog and, and, and then the, the pH gives me the thumbs up. Well, that kind of hunting was just amazing. Matter of fact, it was cool. The last day, we're, 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 we're stalking through on this herd of zebra, and we're getting closer and closer. We're down on our knees, and then we're sitting on our rear ends. And then the, the pH just looks over my shoulder, and, he, and he's just opening his eyes really wide. And I'm like, what the heck? And then he's like pointing behind me, and I slowly start to turn around. Well, there was nothing there. And then I said, what was it? And he goes – 
there was the biggest warthog I've seen in years, about five yards behind you. And I'm oh, like, wow. whoa. And he goes, and then he goes, if that would have been a lion, we'd be dead, my friend. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> That's why I came to Africa. <laughs> so that kind of hunting, that like, I mean, that floated my boat, just, to, just suffice to say. So I've planned another trip. My, me and my buddy are planning another trip back to go Cape Buffalo hunting Ooh, wow. with a bow. He's going to take his oh, 370 yeah. H, 375 H&H. And, <laughs> but I'm like, no, I'm going bow. You know, I, I just, I couldn't, I, I just want to go bow. And, and we're not going to do it from a blind. We're not going to do it in a, you know, I go, I told the, the outfitter, listen, I, I don't want tags in their ears. I, I don't want it over a, a, a water hole or so. I want to like really have a real deal free range stock on on black death that's that's the different side of africa that's the much much more enjoyable side for me yeah Yeah. i'm glad you addressed that because i've um uh, i I went on a stone sheep hunt as a a videographer a few years back actually went two years in a row and um the guy that i was filming for and the outfitter and the guide they were all kind of talking about africa and they the guide and the outfitter had been over to africa a few times before and and talked about how much of it is fenced and and that kind of thing and i always wonder if people you know if we when we talk about that i wonder if we were going to address that or not and i'm glad you did and um that, I mean, that just sounds awesome the way you kind of approach the whole thing um, and how you're going back to do this Cape Buffalo hunt. What is your what does your setup look like as far as like how much weight are you having to pull to go on that hunt? Uh, that's a really good question. So in South Africa, matter of fact, one of my friends, he's a he's the dad of one of the members of our, our sister congregation there in Johannesburg. And I've been over there and spoken at the church and stuff like that. And so got to talk to him quite a bit. He helped. His name is Angus Brown. He's like this prolific bow hunter in South Africa, one of like the forefathers of it. And he helped establish the minimum guidelines, like the minimum uh, um, kinetic energy, you know, regulations and Uh so forth for hunting in South Africa, for hunting dangerous game and hunting Mm -hmm. like Cape Buffalo and so forth. And so when he did that, now this is many years ago, but they set the minimum draw at 80 pounds and then there, there's like a minimum weight error. I think it was 750 grains. There had to be a minimum 750 grains and a minimum of 80 pound draw. And so, and, and there was a few other things along with that. But from that time till now, the cans on the bows, you know, have just become so much more efficient that what was 80 pounds before is, you know, easy, like, um, you know, it, it, it's like you could do that in like 65 pounds now. I mean, it's it's just there, there's a way there's a there's a big difference in the can. So most people don't follow that that kind of rule. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, you know, it's a rule and I don't want to say who doesn't follow it, but they do want to make sure that you have enough enough kinetic energy and enough momentum. So for me, I think it's all about the weight of the arrow. And for me, I'd be shooting the bow that I have now, which is 73 pounds, uh, 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 Bowtech SR6. So, I, you know, as IBO of 352, I mean, it's, it's getting a, a good amount of speed up there and compared to like a lot of other setups. But even though I draw length is shorter, I'm able to generate a lot of speed, but then I'll have an arrow that's at least a thousand grains and, you know, with I mean, I'm I'm good friends with a guy at Bishop Archery and he designs these incredible 
broadheads made of S7 tool steel, you know, they, I mean, they're literally the toughest broadhead in the world. I mean, it's the toughest type of steel used in broadheads ever. It's so difficult to machine and they're all <laughs> machined. And then he makes these arrows that are used that are the 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 quality of carbon in these arrows they end up costing i'm not exaggerating they cost about four hundred dollars a piece for these certain arrows yeah and so i'm I'm gonna get to use those if i go on this cape buffalo hunt so you know he's just he's like an expert in momentum and kinetic energy and breaching bone and stuff like that so i feel confident that with what I'll be using, you know, I'll be able to to do fine in that regard. Is that are those broadheads two blades or what is that? He has like? both. So for he, he has both. He has a three blade, um, and he has one that's for dangerous game. That's it's a five hundred grain three blade <laughs> with serrated edges. I mean, it looks like I'm, I'm not kidding. It looks like a spearhead. Like if I could show you a picture of this right now, he sent me one of those things, and I'm like, "Gulah, that just looks awesome. That's like something you hang on the wall." I mean, it's just it's a it's a bad looking broadhead. So he has that, but then uh, but then the one he really recommends uh, is his two blade single bevel, mm-hmm. and he calls those the scientific method. But he has a six hundred grain two blade. I mean, six hundred oh, grain broadhead, and this thing is made out of S seven tool steel. Like one of them, I think it costs like two hundred something bucks for like one broadhead. I mean, this thing is like, and I could be wrong. Maybe it's one hundred fifty bucks, but it's a lot. Yeah, and, and I mean, it is amazing. I've shot those things through steel flat bar, oh, you know, eighth gosh. inch steel flat bar through concrete. I mean. They're, they're almost indestructible. And with the thickness that they have and that edge, they're, uh, gosh, the, the rotation they get is fantastic. So he's done a lot of research in single bevel broadheads, and, and he's found that some of the conclusions that Dr. Ashby had, who's kind of like, you know, written more about the benefits of single bevel broadheads than anyone else. Mm-hmm. Some of the conclusions were erroneous, found to be erroneous in his testing. And so he's come to some different conclusions about some of these things and proven them over and over in all of his testing. He used to live right next door to this, uh, this bison, what bison farm, you know, where like they would, you know, manufacture, get the meat and stuff like that. And they, he would get all the bones for really cheap. And so he's shot, I mean, thousands and thousands of arrows with every broadhead type made and so many more he designed through all these big, heavy bones until he found like, okay, this is going to be the best setup to breach bone. And, and that's what he, that's why he came up with what he has. So I feel like I, I just can't wait to put one of those things through a Cape Buffalo. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so let's dive into that single bevel stuff just a little bit, just kind of a high yeah. level. Um, <clears throat> I've never shot a single bevel broadhead, but I've been intrigued by him. Uh, Partially from some videos I've watched of yours uh, and some of the bishop stuff, you know that you've you've promoted. Uh, but can you explain to us the difference in a rotational wound channel versus a straight wound channel, and why it's beneficial to have the rotational? Yeah, that's really a good question. And you know, all of this is somewhat debatable, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, there's, yeah. it, there, you know, it's kind of cutting edge debatable. I, I'm also just on a side note, I'm really good friends with Bill, the guy that owns Iron Will. Mm-hmm. And he was there in Denver. We hung out. I mean, we talk all the time about his design and he has a double bevel design. Mm-hmm. And so, and he's a, you know, he's an engineer. He's like, he teaches 
at University of Colorado in in mechanical engineering. So he both of these guys are are well. Sean with Bishop is PhD, and then he's this guy Bill is a is an instructor in mechanical engineering. But but they're both brilliant guys, and so even at their level, there's there's kind of a bit of a debate, you know, and and about which is better. And I understand that. But the 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 primary benefits of a single bevel are if it's designed correctly, and most are not. That's <laughs> like so important to understand. It's really okay. true. If it's designed correctly, then. The, the rotation in the arrow that's already generated by your veins, okay? So it's all, your arrow is already spinning in flight, hence it gets that rifling and, and finer accuracy, right? It, mm-hmm. it holds on targets while we have the veins. So once the, the arrow hits a target, hits a, an animal, then that rotation stops unless you have a single bevel. And a single bevel with its edge allows it to continue to spin because as it drives into the animal, the force of resistance against that single bevel causes the broadhead and the whole arrow to rotate even more. So it's like, one, you got the speed of the veins spinning the arrow, but then two, you've got this new force that's that's causing the arrow to rotate from the, the bevel itself. Whereas a double bevel, it won't rotate. It'll just, you know, it'll stop that initial rotation caused by the veins and lose all of that extra force that was spinning the arrow. And it just stops, but it goes, you know, it cuts through mm-hmm. directly, cuts through a straight wound. In terms of the wound channel itself, there's two primary benefits. The first is if it hits a heavy bone, okay, if you got a double bevel, it's going to cut into the heavy bone. But oftentimes the, the, the arrow itself, the shaft, is of a wider diameter than that two-blade head is that's mm-hmm. going into it. And so a lot of times the shaft can get stuck in the, in the bone itself or face a lot of resistance as it squeezes through that split bone, that cut mm-hmm. bone. But with a single bevel, when it hits that bone, it rotates and it splits it. It doesn't just cut a hole. It literally splits it like, like splitting wood. And I've shot a number of them into like two-by-fours, and and bone has like um has like a grain to it like a, like a two by four does, and so whether you hit it with the blades hitting vertically or hitting uh, horizontally, it doesn't matter. There's a rotation that causes that that two by four just to split, and so it splits apart like vertically with the grain, and that allows the entire shaft to just zip right through that bone. It's not cutting a hole. It's breaking a hole. Mm-hmm. And so then it also causes an incredible amount of damage. Like if you're like an animal, you go, would you rather have a little hole punched through your bone or would you rather have your bone split like end to end and make like, you know, a, an eight inch split long ways in your bone? I mean, that's going to hurt. Yeah, it doesn't and sound so, good. No. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't sound pleasant. No. So it, it, it aids in penetration in that sense and it also aids in the damage that's inflicted upon that bone. But then there's another benefit that when it goes through the softer tissue, like the innards, and man, I've seen this in animals that I've shot, when it goes through the inside, it's spinning so much, it gets it gets what's like a, the, the spaghetti wrapped around an, a, a, a fork effect. Hmm. So you know how if you're like eating spaghetti and you twist it around the noodles around mm-hmm. your fork, then you cut them, you're gonna cut a lot more noodles than if you just mash your fork onto the noodles on the plate, right? Mm-hmm. So you twist it around. So when the when the broadhead is spinning that much, 
it literally twists the softer tissue and organs around the broadhead as it cuts them. And so it causes a much bigger, or it can cause a much bigger wound channel than the cut itself because it stretched these organs and then cuts them just like spaghetti noodles. And I've seen that. I've tested it inside of a pumpkin just to see that. You can really see it. That this, this, I mean, I you're a social guy, John. <laughs> oh, you know, it's like, it's like a kid when you're at a campfire. You're like, hey, can I burn the can? You know? yeah. can, I, can I burn your hat? You know, burn I'm that way with broadheads. I'm like, hey, what if I shot it through a pumpkin? You know? so I, it had all like the guts and the pumpkin and, and you could look in and see, wow, it really did twist around this broadhead and it cut a bigger chunk out of the guts than just a, a, a straight knife wound would have made. So it's interesting to see that. And then I've noticed when I shoot um, a, a single bevel into an animal as well, that the initial hole, it's, it's almost round. It's either round or it's square. It's weird. Here's a two blade head that'll go in and that initial hole in the hide will be round. Hmm. And it's just, it's rotating so fast with the, the fletching and with the, the, the single bevel causing that rotation that it just, it literally just spirals a hole. And so it punches a big hole. Now, by the time it goes through the animal, it's not rotating nearly as much. So the exit hole is like a slit, like it would be with a double bevel. Mm -hmm. But that initial wound to the hide, that round, circular, bigger hole that doesn't close up, you get that with a single bevel and you don't with a double bevel. Yeah. So there's, you know, there's some, you know, some interesting observations, but this is where there's two problems with a single bevel. First, they have to be thick enough, actually three problems, they have to be thick enough in order for them to generate enough force to twist or rotate the, the broad head in the animal. A lot of single bevels you'll see out there, they're just too thin. They're, mm. they're like, you know, if you're below 0. 0.060 inches, they found it just doesn't rotate enough to, to do any significantly extra damage with a single bevel. So they have to be at least 0. 0.060 inches thick. Then Ashby, what Dr. Ashby had, had concluded is the best rotation was found with a 25 degree, um, 25 degree bevel. So he thought, okay, if it's a 25 degree bevel, that's optimal for, for rotation. And then what was, what was happening is a lot of single bevels. One of the other problems is there's so much pressure on that leading edge. Cause it's not two blades. It's like one blade is rotating. It's facing so much pressure that most broadheads experience edge chatter where the, you know, the, the, the edge itself, like it's, gets nicked up on, on bone and stuff because there's just so much pressure as it rotates. Oftentimes the ferrule, it breaks off at the ferrule too because there's so much torque that it just twists off, it shears off the broadhead if it's an inferior steel. And so what this guy from Bishop did is he goes, okay, well, I'm going to use S7 tool steel and this proprietary S7 tool steel that's you know not only got a Rockwell hardness of 58, but it's got a Charpie V-notch index, which tests a steel's resistance to impact. That's, that's like so important in broadheads. So he used that, and its resistance to impact is about five times what typical 420 stainless steel is. Is that like, so uh, it, can you, so is resistance to impact, is that kind of like curling of the tip and that kind of thing? 
um, yeah, it's okay. like curling of the tip. It's and it's like it's mostly like the edge chatter itself, but, mm-hmm. but it can also be curling of the tip. And what they do for a V notch is they take a, a chunk of steel and there's like they have this machine and they drop it on it that that makes this it makes this like dent in it, and they see how much it's dented by this V-shaped force coming down on it. Okay. So okay. It, that, that's how they measure the resistance to impact. And and so if it, when he's looking at these 25-degree bevels of single blades, all of which are experiencing this edge shatter, and he found that penetration is not – its sharpness is not as significant to penetration as edge integrity is. I know it's like sounds really deep, but what happened? Like, think about it. If you have a really sharp broadhead going in, but then if it gets nicked up, mm-hmm. that broadhead is extremely dull. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you have one that may not feel super sharp going in, but that edge will not budge, that in the long run is going to be more effective at penetration than one that gets nicked up. And so, so he just he used this S7 tool steel, thinking, okay, I can use this optimal what Ashby says, 25 degree bevel. And it will not experience edge shatter. Well, then as he started to research it and do all these testing, he found, oh, 25 degrees is not, does not cause the optimal rotation. Actually, 45 degrees does. And so he found that 45 degrees is the optimal rotating force or the optimal edge angle to create a rotating force in a single bevel. But 45 degrees it's like it's not very sharp. Like it's just it's mm. just a you know a chunk when it's that yeah. thick, and it's just like a, it's like a you know a half a square you know kind of a thing. And so then he goes, okay, the best compromise is forty degrees. So forty degrees is sharp enough, and yet also causes enough rotation that that's optimal. That you have at least point oh six oh inches, and then it's a forty degree bevel. And then it's um, and then it's of a grade of steel that won't experience that edge chatter. That's when you've got a winner of a sec- of a single bevel. Holy cow, dude! <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, you had your physics lesson for the day. It's like so intense, dude. Uh, it's too early. Um, so, just to clarify a few things, there's a lot of really cool information in there. Um, I'm pretty much sold. You know what I mean? Uh, but so the the single bevel. I feel like somewhere in there you mentioned that a two-blade versus uh, like a three-blade or something like that had some effect on penetration or the bone splinter or something like that. Can you kind of recap that? Because I just got lost in there. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that's all right. Just that yeah, one I, little spot. So the, the, if you have a two-blade, I mean a two-blade, a really sharp, good two-blade, it will cut through bone, right? I mean it's going to cut. You have enough momentum. excuse me, kinetic energy, it's going to cut through the bone. But there's a difference between cutting through it and breaking it open. And one is it's more damaging to break it open. But two is the shaft of the arrow is is thicker than the two blades are wide. And so two blades just cut a slit and then you're hitting the ferrule and you're hitting the shaft. And that shaft is going to have to go through the bone and it's wider than those two blades are. Sure. And so there's going to be some resistance that comes from that. Either it can get wedged in there or it can just experience resistance that can hinder the penetration. So that's that's the theory behind it. Now, you can overcome that with, you say, like with an iron wheel, you go, well, what if you put in bleeders? Because then you got bleeders, you know, so you got four blades in effect, you know, a two-blade mm-hmm. design within these 
these two offset blades. And so you've got these other two blades, and they open up just enough to where they're cutting through the bone, and, and then the arrow can zip right through it. The shaft can zip through it. So a, a four-blade like that, they found, is oftentimes more effective at breaching bone than just a two-blade is. Now, there's debate about that. You know, some people say, no, that's not true. Some people say, no, that's absolutely true. And, but that's just kind of a, an interesting thing. So I look at it and I go, okay, <clears throat> if I look at a single bevel, for me, I think a single bevel two-blade is better than a double bevel two-blade. That's just my personal opinion. And, and then from what I've experienced. But then you go, okay, the benefit you're getting with a spiral wound channel is that offset by having two extra blades? If you've got two bleeders, well, now you're cutting a lot more tissue than just the, the diameter of those two main blades. Now you're cutting like a half inch of tissue the other way. Mm -hmm. And so the, the two main blades plus those two, those two bleeders, is that making a better wound channel and damaging more tissue than a single bevel two blade would? And that's a good debate. Like, there's no way to quantify <laughs> that. And that's what, like, the Iron Will says is, okay, we'll put in a, a little, you know, bleeders there. And then that's going to be of greater benefit than a rotating single bevel. Mm -hmm. And then people say, yeah, it will. It'll cut more tissue. But a rotating single bevel will split bone apart. And a double bevel with bleeders won't do that. And that's where the debate goes on and on, right? And, right, and that's yeah. what makes it fun. And so, like, with, with me, <laughs> in my broadhead choice – I just I, I would love to be like Tyler and go, I've used one for 20 years. You know, I've got I've got the muzzy three blades. Yeah. Like that. Is that what you use? Tyler? Uh, I don't know. You man, have to say. Okay. I've been using a Spitfire, um, the spit, uh, you know, NAP Spitfire 100 grain for forever. And I actually went to their Spitfire Max, which is just like a yeah. got a cut on contact head, kind of like the Rage, you know. Um, yeah. been using that for about the last five years or so and uh it's worked for me but i'm you know i'm a white no, those, those are fantastic actually in all of my testing i've test okay i love to test mechanicals that's a whole you know separate thing but <laughs> I, the, the advantage of mechanicals right is that you talk about a wound channel I mean, yeah you can get without sacrificing flight you can get incredible opening and, and tissue damage. I mean, phenomenal. And so it's, it's primary, well, it's got two benefits, right? I mean, you got this low profile in flight and if a head is, is constructed well, machined well, it spins true. Then the next thing that determines how well that arrow is going to fly or the broadhead is, is the, the surface area. And if you've got, you know, too much of a surface area, it's going to act like a rudder on the plane. It's going to act like the veins mm -hmm. of the, of the fletching and it can shear, it can plane off course. And so if your bow's not really well tuned when you're using a fixed blade head, then it, it can, it can be very finicky. Even if it's well tuned, if your grip or your form is a little bit off, the man at like 60, 80, 100 yards, that fixed blade, it's going to be a little more finicky to oh, hit yeah. with your field point, right? With your field points. But with a mechanical, you go, you kind of don't even have to worry about that. Yeah. And the lower profile it is in flight, the less surface area, the better it's going to fly, the more forgiving it's going to be. And then you go, yeah, but so you get the best of both worlds. You get like low profile in flight, so it flies great. And then a bigger profile once it hits the animal. Mm -hmm. You go, what's not to like about that? Right. And so the, you know, mechanicals, I think really have their place and they've gotten 
so much, you know, better. And people are coming out. I just tested a brand new design from SIK the other day, S-I-K. It's like a new broadhead manufacturer. And I, I just love that, that they're still coming out with new designs. You know, Afflictor has come out with some really creative stuff in recent years and new designs. And so you kind of think well, there's nothing new under the sun, but but there is, you know. And, right. and with, with mechanicals, people are coming out with new stuff. And so for me, like, I test enough mechanicals I go, okay, I want a deep penetrating mechanical. And for me, I, I prefer a, a rear deploying one because then I'm going to get, I'm guaranteed at least to have a very large entrance wound. Mm-hmm. I may not get a pass through, but I'm going to, I'm guaranteed those blades are going to open if they're rear deploying and I'm going to get the full two inches or two and a quarter or one and a half inches of cut upon entry. If, if I'm using an over the top, expandable. Okay. Like you said, like a Spitfire and I use those too. I like those or, you know, a grip reaper or something like that. The, the advantage is, okay, they penetrate pretty well because they're not hitting with their full blade open upon entry. I mean, they're hitting with it smaller, so there's less resistance and it's going to penetrate deeper. But if you don't get a pass through, then you're not going to get much blood yep. because you're getting the small entrance because the, the blades have not opened. They haven't fully deployed. And if you if they pass through, well, then you get a big old exit and you like, it's awesome. But if they don't pass through, you're kind of stuck and yep. you don't mm-hmm. have much of a blood. Tra- and then you may drop the animal in 50 yards, whether there's a blood trail or not. But if you're going for, you know, okay, I want to be able to follow a blood trail. If I shoot an elk, man, I'm, this thing can run like a mile in, in, in about a minute. You know, I want to make sure that, that I have a blood trail to be able to follow it. And so that's when I, I like to have a rear deploying head to guarantee at least get a big opening. So I'm going to get blood, but then possibly even get a pass through. And I mean, that's just for me personally, but, but sure. I shoot all kinds of different uh, mechanicals. And then, so then I go, okay. What am I going to shoot? Am I going to shoot my, you know, fixed blade heads that are really reliable and are going to penetrate deep? And they're just, they're way tougher. I mean, I, there's just, there's no comparison. I, I test a, a mechanical compared to a fix and I, I shoot them, you know, through MDF, you know, fiber board like stuff. And, and I shoot them at an angle and I shoot them through steel plate and I shoot them into a, like a zero impact test into concrete I mean, there's just there's no mechanicals that can handle the concrete. They just they just can't. It's yeah, just they're yeah. not designed. There's too many moving parts. That's okay. I know you don't hunt concrete, but sometimes <laughs> you may hit you, know, you hit a big bone or something, you know, yeah. and, and it can cause that same damage. So then I go, oh, yeah. okay, what do I do? Like if if the animal is broadside, and I got like a broadside shot, that's when I would rather have a big mechanical because man, I'm going to go. It's going to be a pass through. And man, it's going to, it's going to open a big wide you know, hole and I'm going to be good. But if it's quartering toward me or a really steep quartering away where penetration is like, it's huge, it's everything, then I'd rather have a, a, a fixed blade where it's going to be tough and maybe go through a shoulder, go through a big bone and penetrate really, really deeply. So in my, in what I find is when I'm hunting, Whichever one I don't have on my bowstring, that's the one I wish I had. Yeah. Like, right? I mean, yeah. I go like, I go, okay, this year, man, I'm growing, I'm, I'm going grave digger. I'm going like maximum carnage. And I yeah. got this big old hybrid head on there. Well, here comes this beautiful buck quartering right towards me. And as soon as it gets broadside, it's going to scent me. And I'm like, I got to take this quartering toward me shot. Yeah. And boom, you know, I drill it and I, and I got it, but, but 
man, it, there was no blood. Yeah. None. Yeah. I mean, I found the animal 80 yards away. It was great. But but there was no blood, and I was freaking out for a while. Yeah. Whereas I know if I was using my fixed blade head, that probably would have zipped right through, and and then I, I would have had a nice blood trail. Yeah. But then there's other times that I go, man, that, that animal was broadside. If I would have used a big mechanical, it would have been down in 30 yards. But <laughs> yeah. I put this little fixed blade right through, and he ran half a mile. You know, So <laughs> I, yeah. I usually have both in my quiver just, just yeah, in that's, case. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, KC kind of did that some this year. And I, I've definitely noticed a lot of these things you're saying. With, I haven't had great penetration with that uh, that head. I've killed everything I've shot at pretty much. And I think this year having that big wound channel, uh, with a three blade spitfire, you know, even KC said, uh, in the, in the phone call after, before I had, you know, even located this deer as being dead. Um, you know, man, you, you got a three blade mechanical on there. It thinks, you know, eating through a lot as it goes through. And I think it really saved me this year, but, uh, I had to, I was, you know, I did a grid search. Luckily I kind of had a good idea of where he was going to end up and bed down. But, uh, you know, there was no blood trail really. Cause, and it, and it, it was even a pass through, but a um, lot of times, you know, I, if I'm hitting a, a rib or two on the way through on a big Midwestern buck, you know, it's, it's not really going to get through there a lot of times. I haven't had a lot of pass throughs and I think, you know, KC is definitely, he got a new bow and he's shooting a lot faster this year. And he was able to get a couple of broadheads that worked really well out to like 40 or 50 yards that yeah, you know, patterned consistently to each other. And I think that was uh, definitely, you know, something that was, that could be advantageous for me in the future. Yeah. You know, I shot, mm. uh, I kind of did what you did and I, I'm a, we talked before we got on the, the phone here on the podcast, like you and I are both tinkerers and then Tyler's kind of just, you know, find what works and go with it. And I just love swapping out broadheads and shooting stuff with different broadheads. Well, this year I shot an elk with a rage hypodermic, which is kind of like the standby of all <laughs> mechanicals, uh-huh. right? Everybody shoots yeah. hypodermics. And then I shot a whitetail with an exodus. And funny enough, I went through both shoulders with the elk and I went in and buried up in the opposite shoulder with the Exodus on a, <laughs> on a small little East Texas whitetail. But I think it's, um, A, because I, I hit dead square in the shoulder, you know. And then, B, this is kind of my question for you. Um, what, what is, how do blade angle and then surface cut cor- correlate? So, yes, this, this broadhead might have, you know, 2.3 inches of, of, of cut, but the blade angles are sticking straight out. So in my mind, that's a lot more resistance than something who has a much more swept blade. Maybe it's a longer blade, but it's swept back at a, at a sharper angle, so it's not pushing as much. Is that, is that something that yeah. we need to calculate, Ian? It's, it's an interesting question. And, you know, just intuitively you say, okay, the steeper the blade angle, the less effectively it's going to penetrate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but what I found is... The most important thing is the total like diameter of the cut. So, you know, if you have two inches of cut versus one and a half inches of cut, that's more important. That determines penetration more than the blade angle does. Like that trumps blade angle. Mm-hmm. Now, not if it's just like, you know, like a turkey head where it's, you know, horizontal, yeah, sure. okay, yeah, like yeah, 90 yeah. degrees. Okay, that thing. But if there's a bit of an angle to it, Honestly, it's less of an issue than most people realize, mm-hmm. and, but it becomes a perceived issue. And so a lot of times people go, well, it's got such a, you know, uh, it, it's such a, a non-steep angle, such a flat angle that it's not going to penetrate well. Well, 
it definitely hinders penetration, but that's not as important as the total cut. Okay, so that's like one thing. But if you can get the best of both worlds, that you get enough of a cut while having a good blade angle, you know, a good swept angle, well, then, yeah, you're going to get the, the best penetration with that. But, you know, Aspie was the one that came out with this. It has to be at a, a three-to-one blade yeah. angle, you know. Yeah. And and that's been proven to be not true. I mean, you know, he uses it, you know, the he talks about the mechanical advantage. Well, mechanical advantage in physics, that's true if you're if you're you know you're uh, you're you're got a, a lever under a rock you know and you're pressing down and you know that's where you want the three to one advantage like you can it works for a lever but it's not it's not the same with breaching bone and with penetration that a lot of times that that longer that longer broadhead can be more disadvantaged because there's there's more like surface area that's that's causing resistance within the tissue itself. And so it's it's not always more swept is meaning it's going to penetrate better. I, it's funny. I tested the tooth of the arrow uh, broadhead the other day through wood. And I'm looking at this thing and it has it's funny because it had like an inch more cut than this other head I was testing. And but the broad head, like the the blade angle was a lot less swept mm -hmm. than this other broadhead, but it penetrated more. Like hmm. it it penetrated more effectively in the in the wood than did the other one. I'm like, gosh, it's kind of baffling. Sometimes things are kind of counterintuitive in physics, and I think you know, like sharpness tends to be that way as compared to edge retention. That's much more important, and and blade angle, I think, is. It's it's definitely an issue, but I don't think it's as big of an issue as most people realize. Yeah. Well, I'm glad there's guys like you who are willing to put in the time and the effort to test all this stuff because I just don't <laughs> – I don't have it. I don't have that time. So <laughs> Yeah, man. right? I mean, it's all a choice of what we want to do. And, yeah, I'm grateful for that too, that I can learn from people that – Man, I go, I could never spend the kind of time you're doing researching that, but I can learn from it. And it's not that anybody has it figured out, right? Yeah. I mean, there's like, you know, you, you you propose something, then like the next year you go, oh, that sucked. You know, that that was wrong about that. I mean, if, if wherever <laughs> we think we figured it out, that's where we know we're in the wrong place. <laughs> yeah. That's right. It wouldn't right? be fun anymore once you do that, right? You figure <laughs> it, it out. Got I mean, we got to constantly be pressing the envelope. And we owe it to the animal to be thinking, yeah. What can we do to what can I do to be the most effective ethical hunter possible and dispatch of this animal as quickly as possible from my own practice to my setup to the broadhead selection for the animal? And I'll select a broadhead based on the animal that I'm hunting. I mean, I, I almost always I can't think of a time I don't do that. That mm -hmm. if I'm hunting, you know, hogs or smaller deer, I'm going to go, or turkey, I'm going to go with this type of head, bear, this type of head, and, you know, elk, maybe this type of head. And that's just because I, I have enough different heads and have done enough research to go, man, you know, one head isn't the best for every situation. Kind of like one tire isn't the best for, you know, on your truck year round. You know, there's different, different climates and areas that you go, this tire is going to be better here. This tire is going to be better there. It's the same with, with broadheads in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. That's right, man. And, and, you said we owe it to the animals, and I know you believe this, but we owe it to God's creation to be good caretakers, and uh, and that's kind of what we're here for. Uh, you know, John, I knew that as soon as I started researching you and watching your videos, um, if you're carrying a Bible and a bow, there's not much else I want out of a fella. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you're going to be a pretty good guy. <laughs> oh, on my Instagram, I say that. Do you? A bow and a Bible. I can travel the world. 
passionately using both. Like, that summarizes my life more than anything else. That's probably. right, dude. Well, hey, John, um, we got to let you go, man. You full, you're full of so much good information. We'd love to have you on and maybe do like a 201 or something later on in the summer or something. Really get into some of this broadhead stuff. Um, yeah. Because, man, you've done so much testing, and you're such an intuitive guy, and we really appreciate it. Um, where, if someone is interested in, you know, maybe watching some of your videos, reviewing some of your content, where should we send them? Yeah, please go to my YouTube page, Lusk Archery Adventures. I've got, like, I've got over 80 different videos there, and about 60 of them are my own bow hunts, and then uh, over 20 of them are broadhead tests, I mean, all, I, I've tested over 50 different heads and I got a bunch more that I've already tested that I'm releasing a new video this next week and another one the next week and more on the way. And then I got some bow reviews. It, it, it Honestly, it's just a good resource. Not that I have all the answers, but it's kind of a layman's approach. You know, it's it's not super polished. And that's that's kind of what I, my intent is. It's just a dude that's testing the stuff out. And, you know, I got an engineering background, but I love to test this and love to hunt. So go to the channel and watch it or Instagram. Same thing. Lost Archery Adventures. Cool. Oh, awesome. All right. Cool, man. Well, we'll definitely send people over there. Check that out. That uh, We'll put those links in the notes down below. John, I can't thank you enough, man. I can't wait to uh, talk more with you. Likewise, anytime. Guys, yeah. you guys are great. I love what you're doing. <laughs> love the faith behind it as well. I just... I mean, you're right up my alley in terms of our, our passion. Yes, so sir. So really applaud you. Well, thank you. I very much appreciate that. We'll have to meet up sometime, man, get together and do some shooting or something. Yeah, I'd yeah. love that. Texas is actually my favorite place to hunt. I mean, hogs are uh, my number one favorite animal to hunt. <laughs> well, I, love, I don't know why, but I just love hunting hogs. Well, uh, we'll have plenty of stories to share then because I've done quite a bit of that. It's almost like, uh, I mean, they're just a nuisance to us you know and i hate to say that you know but it's just it's just gotten that way but uh yeah, yeah it's uh, i'm glad there's people like you who really love to hunt them so come down here and kill <laughs> as many as you can please <laughs> that's yeah. what people say yeah yeah well all right john we'll catch you later man okay thanks bros take care See ya. all right dude like my mind <laughs> like numbers numbers dude too too early for all the numbers man. i can tell that uh that you were over there like, oh, my goodness, and yeah. I was too, a lot. Like, mm -hmm. a, this is something that's a little bit more in my realm, you know, like yeah. the technical side of broadheads and stuff, but I'm nowhere near what John is, and I, I'm really yeah. ready to get him back on. For sure. And to really dive deep into some broadhead stuff, because that's fun, man. Yeah, I mean, and if you liked that, uh, if that's like right up your alley, we are going to get him back on this summer, I think. So subscribe to the podcast, and you'll see... Uh, when he comes back on, along with some of the other good guests that we're going to get this summer, I'm excited. We're talking with them right now, trying to schedule things up. Um, there is a small game film that we released, video. I, I shouldn't call it a film. It's a video. Uh, it's like uh, one of the best PLCs, you know, you could imagine, I guess. <laughs> we're just smoking squirrels and paints and rabbits and everything, and... Um, you know, we got out and did that pretty quick after the season, and the video just released, I think, last week or so. So if you haven't seen it, go check it out. Um, I, I mean, it's it's action-packed. It was, it was fun. And <clears throat> speaking of action-packed, dude, I'm like, even through this cold weather, and maybe because of this cold weather, I'm like itching to get out and do some fishing, man. I saw you scratch them all ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's all over me, dude. It's man, all over me. I've been hanging out with a guy who used to fish the, the BASS tour, so... 
Believe me, I'm kind of hot. He right fished now. the classic twice. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and he's also caught more fish over 13 pounds and and put them in the the uh, lunker program in Texas than anybody else. He said there's three of them. That's they've well, caught three. But okay, yeah. But he has caught a fourth. Did he tell you that? He hadn't told me about he, that. It was outside. It was in the summertime. Oh no, yeah, he told yeah. me that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, like. The real Confirmed. lunker program, too. The real, yeah. Not this 10-pounder. Ah, no, no, I'm so disappointed right now. It would be like, okay, so don't get me wrong, a 10-pound <laughs> fish is like No, but they're accepting, they're accepting like 7-pounders now. Oh, are you serious? I'm dead serious. I thought it was 10 and 13. Uh, no, now it's, uh, I have to look it up, so if you want to fact check me, you can if you're from Texas and this matters to you. But 7, 8-pounders, like, I can't remember, uh, you know, they may have to be overs or something like that, I can't remember, but like... Seven pounds. Uh, they've got like these. They've got like three leagues now. So like bronze, you know, uh, silver, platinum, whatever it is. We're gonna be, get participation medals when you. It, it's frustrating, dude, because they're <laughs> and they're calling them all lunkers. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's the frustrating part. Is like it just it'd be like if we started calling one twenty whitetail booners. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I mean, yeah. like it, it needs a different uh, terminology, you know, for yeah. it. I think it, it's not fair to the guys who have caught actual 13-plus pounders to be like, oh, yeah, I caught a seven, and it was in the lunker program. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, it's a big fish. Yeah. I, I, dude, I haven't – I mean, I can count on – I mean, I could count the number of seven-pounders that I've probably caught. And I don't – you know, like, there's a bunch of them, so I don't know – I don't remember every one of them, but, like, there's also – it's a limited number. Like, that's a huge fish yeah, it's still. Yeah, like when – I catch a seven-pounder and pumped. Oh, know? yeah. I tell people about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? But – uh but it's not. It's literally half the size of some of the fish in the lunker program. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And or, you know, from over the years, and so it's disappointing to me. Yeah, it's disappointing. I don't to know. Me. I don't. I don't. I don't get it. But hey, if it gets people out there fishing, then that's good. But yeah, I, I don't. I, the thing is, is the lunker program was set up as a conservation. Well, yes, conservation in a way. Uh, in a way, it, it's set up to produce big bass. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the purpose of bringing smaller bass into that program? I don't, I don't understand it. Yeah, you know? I, don't, I don't know. I'm not sure either. But either way, I'm pumped up. We for need some to bass have fishing. a. We need, we need to have who, a. Who are we gonna get for that? Richard. Richard, that's probably right. <laughs> no, he's uh, fishing now. Maybe somebody from Athens or something like yeah. that. But it'd be cool to do a, to a bass uh, podcast and talk about the. Uh, we could go back to some of the guys. The guys who uh, I can't remember his name all of a sudden, but um, the guy who basically created the idea of the Lunker program. Yeah. And, be cool to talk about. Man. Yeah, it so would. It would, man. Maybe if y'all are interested in hearing about that, let us know somewhere. Send us a message on or email or message on media or something like yeah. that. Yeah, and if you're local as well, uh, this applies for a lot of people. So it's something to think about, um, but particularly local to Texas. Um, the Texas Parks and Wildlife uh, input days are going on right now. Good call. There's dude. a lot of regulations that they need your input on uh whether they'll listen or not was is to be determined but it's it was always to be determined last yeah, year <laughs> it did not determine last year um but one in particular that's important to us is that um there's there's talks of expanding the so-called doe days from four days to 16 days mm-hmm. during the texas rifle season which would be in highly certain, beneficial certain counties yeah highly beneficial for those counties uh, to be able to to do that to help yep. uh, maintain a more quality deer herd, so and uh, to relieve pressure on yeah, smaller legal bucks, exactly, and to relieve pressure on us socially because, sure, yeah. to be honest, I would love to get out and shoot some does, but whenever, okay, when you're married, you probably get this, and then if there's any divorces in your family, you probably even understand even more. Even more. 
But there's not just one Thanksgiving. There's four to 12 Thanksgivings <laughs> yeah, that right. you have to be a part of. That's right. And whenever those days are on Thanksgiving, it get, makes it really hard. Yeah. You either get to shoot a doe or get that divorce that we were talking about because you don't show up to <laughs> you don't show up to Thanksgiving. Yeah. So it makes it very difficult, right? Yeah. Like yeah. You, you have family responsibilities. And yeah. let's, a doe's not worth a divorce. No, you know I mean? never. maybe maybe a boner. You know? <laughs> we'll see about that. No, 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 <laughs> no. Uh, but but for real, and and I, I literally talked about that to my wife last night. Cause yeah. I've been I've been uh, consuming a lot of media indirectly uh, from the deer hunting world as I'm putting together certain things right now. Um, and I just look at some of these guys, I'm like, man, these guys are selling out so hard for deer that it's, uh, like I could, I can see this affecting their, their yeah. relationship, yeah. you know, and, and, uh, it's sad, um, uh, that that can happen, but I can also see how it can happen easily. Like, you know, by the grace of God, I'm not that way. Uh, and I, and I could be better probably, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And also, so it's uh, it's something you have to be careful about for sure. But uh, that's a kind of a side note as to what you're saying. Definitely make sure you put your input in if you're from Texas, because uh, we personally will appreciate that. Um, and uh, like you said, man, I didn't get to shoot a doe this year. Uh, there was I had some opportunities that I passed. Uh, I filmed you early in the season, and uh, doe days came around. And I do have divorces in my family that. Uh, uh, and lots of Thanksgivings, and yeah. when you know they base uh, four days of doe season around Thanksgiving, it's kind of hard to get out, man. Yeah, so hopefully sure. we'll get that expanded to sixteen days. Uh, they didn't listen to us on a key thing last year, but maybe they'll listen to us this year and give us that fifty percent uh, feel good, you know, so. <laughs> a moral victory. <laughs> that's right. So anyway, uh, I guess that's going to about wrap it up for us. I appreciate you listening. We're getting rolling back on this thing. It feels good to be podcasting and. Uh, talking with guys who are super um, just knowledgeable about things like that, man, that's a that's game changer for for me, and I'm super interested in it. It's just not something that I've ever spent time doing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So uh, sometimes anyway. those are the best ones to do. You know, like yeah. oh, and that podcast showed that because you actually had more questions than I did. Oh yeah, and this was kind of like the guy like I kind of talked to, talked about and wanted to talk to, but <laughs> yeah. like y- your stuff was so much like better than mine because you were coming at it fresh. Right, you know yeah. what I mean. I just I don't know. I'm just so blue collar in my approach to that side of things. I yeah. guess you'd say, and not blue collar to saying like dumb, but blue collar as in like, oh, I better work instead of research this today. You know, whatever. Yeah. So. Uh, anyway, I think we're about to roll out, uh, go enjoy some of this cold weather, and uh, and are you going to work? Uh, I'm going to try not to, but I might have to. <laughs> I might, might have to stop by Gordita's and get me some spicy, oh. some spicy real quick. Boy, howdy. Uh, anyway, I hope you guys have a great week. I hope you stay warm, and uh, if you got any pictures of sheds, man, send them our way because we're itching and we don't have any shed bucks around here right now, I don't think, so... Anyway, God bless you guys, and remember, this is your element. Live in it. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. 
For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit markethouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins.